Hey, CF family, thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this message encourages you and blesses your life. Well, before you hear this powerful teaching, I want to encourage you to share this message with someone who needs to hear the gospel. You never know what this message can do to the life of that person. Also, we want you to know that wherever you're watching us from, you can still impact the lives of others through your giving. It is through your generosity that we can keep pushing the kingdom of God forward in our city and all over the world. Giving is safe and simple. You can go to our app or you can go to our website, cfmiami.org give. Well, God bless you and I hope you enjoy this message. Hey, how many of you are glad that in Christ we have life everlasting? Amen. Come on, give a shout of praise to, to the Lord 1045. That it is great, great to have you here. It's a wonderful day to worship God. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at CF. Uh, and if it's your first time joining us today at one of our campuses, whether it's Doral or Coral Gables downtown, West Kendall, Redland, Homestead, or even here at Palmetto Bay, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we are in our second week of a series called A Skeptic's Welcome, and uh, we are answering some of the hard questions that not only skeptics have about the Christian faith, but we as well. And today we're going to be answering the question, that God really created everything. And if he did, what is the purpose of it? Why would God take the step and create everything we see and know? We're going to find out today from God's word. Amen. And so go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, across all campuses. And wherever you find yourself, you can follow along with me. All right? Listen to what God's word says in verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God what? What is it? Yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, the first thing that God tells us when he introduces himself to humanity is that he is our creator God. Amen? That is God's word. You can go and take a seat, everybody, at all campuses. And let me start off by sharing this with you. You know, when I was growing up, I remember that the first day of class back in school was very exciting. For one, we got to see our friends back again. You know, when we were young, there were no cell phones, there was no social media, so you wouldn't see your friends throughout the whole summer until the first day of school, right? So we wanted to come back to school for just a little bit, right? But one of the reasons is also very exciting it's because we got to meet our brand new teacher for the year. And folks, this was always a defining moment of the year because it was our first impression of that teacher. And family, it set the tone for the remainder of the year. It set the tone as to how we viewed the teacher. It set the tone as to how we related to the teacher. And folks, it even set the tone to ask as to how we would behave with that teacher. For example, I remember growing up, there was one teacher that when we went into the first day of school, we knew he was a strict, no fun type of teacher. Oh yeah, he was an authoritarian, he had a military background, and every single day, the kids dreaded to go into that school, why? Into that class, why? Because we knew there was no fun. Conversely, there was another teacher 
who from the first day we knew he was a fun-loving guy. Oh, yeah. To the point that whenever he went, would step out to go to the restroom or to the office, one of the kids would call out another kid's name and yell, pile up. Yeah, and all the kids would run, and we would jump on that kid, and we would just be laughing, having fun, throwing ourselves from the, from the desk. And when the teacher would come back, he would look at us, chuckle, and he would throw himself in top of the, of the whole pile. So yeah, that's the kind of teacher we had. But folks, do not miss the point, because the first day of school was important, because it set uh, the first impression on every single student. And from that point on, listen, it set the tone for everything. It set the tone to how we viewed the teacher, how we related to the teacher, and how we behaved every single day of the year. And folks, let me just bring that childhood story of mine over to our teaching for today because what a a picture of how important it is, our first impression of God And by that I mean that just like the first impression on the first day of school was important, it set the tone for the remainder of the school year, just like that. And here's the main idea as we dive into God's Word today. Listen, from the first pages of Scripture, in fact, from the very first verse in the Bible, listen, God introduces Himself to humanity and He sets His first impression on us. And folks, that moment is actually sets the tone for the remainder of Scripture. It sets the tone to how we view God, how we relate to God, and folks, even how we live our daily life. Amen? Amen. And who knows, maybe you're here right now for the first time at one of our campuses. You're thinking, Omar, what was God's first impression of us? Well, folks, we're going to find out. Uh, 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 what's our first impression of God? We're going to find out today from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1 across all campuses, spending two sermons on one verse. And uh, you can follow along in, in your listening guides as well as in our app. Today I have three important thoughts for us. Are you all ready, Christ Fellowship? Yeah? So write this down as point number one. Here we go. The first thing we need to remember is that God reveals himself first as creator. Now, let's go back to the passage for today. It says, in the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. Now, stop right there. Because it's evident from the first verse in Scripture that he is our creator. Now, think about this. God could have begun his word by, by saying, in the beginning, the holy God. In the beginning, the merciful God. In the beginning, the loving God. And folks, he is all those things, amen? But he is a creator God who is holy. He is a creator God who's merciful. He is a creator God who's loving towards us. And so the first thing that we see in Scripture, he sets the tone for the remainder of Scripture. And now, The question is, why would God stress so much that he is, in fact, the creator? Well, for several reasons. First of all, write this down in letter A. It's because creator implies creative power. 
Now, the word created there in the first version of Scripture, in the Hebrew, there's general, two general words for created in the Hebrew language, in the original language. The first and most common word is the word asa. Everyone say asa. asa. Yeah. And the word asa means to create something from existing material. So we, right, when you create a phone, for example, we create that phone from existing materials. But the other word is bara. Everyone say bara. bara. Yeah, and the word bara means to create something out of nothing. You see, God, a capacity, bara is a capacity that only God has. Man cannot bara. And so bara is used here in the very first, word, in the first uh, verse in Scripture, and even though Asa is used throughout uh, Genesis, the reality is that God wanted to make sure that humanity understood that everything that we see today, he created out of nothing. Theologians call this ex nihilo, right? We created out of nothing. Now, how did he do that? Very simple. He spoke it into existence. If you recall the creation narrative, it says... And God what? And God said, let there be light. And he began to create by speaking it into existence. Now, the question that many people do not ask, but it's an important one, is who is the one who spoke the world into existence? And the reason many people don't ask that question is because they assume it was God the Father. But folks, when you look through the pages of Scripture, we see something different. It was actually the Son of God, the second part of the Trinity, who spoke the world into existence. In fact, listen to what God's Word says about Jesus in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. It says this. It says, for what? So for by Him, for by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him, through Christ, and what? For. And for Christ. And then in Hebrews 11, and chapter 1, it says this, these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, through whom he also what? Created. created the world. You see, here's what you need to know, that back in eternity past, the, the, the God, the Trinity, came together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they made an agreement to create, and the one who they gave the task to create was a second part of the Trinity, the Son of God. And in Genesis chapter 1, it shows us how he began to create. In fact, take a look. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. 
God called the dry land earth, and the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, he was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. Hey, can we praise God for allowing us to see that, amen? And folks, listen, God creating does not only reveal his creating power, but something else, write this down, instead of B. Creator also implies sustaining power, sustaining power. In fact, let's go back to Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to what it says. It says, for he, speaking of Christ, he is before all things, and in him all things what? Oh. Hold together. And then it says in Hebrews 1, it says that he what? Upholds the universe by the what? By the word of his power. So not only did God create by speaking into existence, but even by the word of his power, he's sustaining everything together in this universe. And folks, I think the best example of that has to be the little tiny atom. You know, you may remember that an atom is the smallest particle. Everything's composed of atoms. And an atom is actually a cluster of positive protons at the, at the center, right? A cluster of them. And electrons, negative charged particles surrounding it. And you may recall the Coulomb's Law says that opposites attract and similars repel. We all remember that, right, from school. But folks, what many people do not realize is that the atom defies, every atom defies that law. In fact, one of the great mysteries of the universe is actually it's a double mystery, it's, it's how could it be that in every single atom 
all these positive charges that are together in the nucleus, how come they don't expand? That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to expand. And how come the electrons who are negative, how come they don't collapse into the nucleus? And folks, the reality is that science does not have the answer for that. You know, at the beginning, uh, they started calling it an atomic force, atomic glue is what they called it. Now they call it a strong nuclear force. In fact, years ago, there was a man who wrote a big thesis on this whole topic of how can an atom sustain itself? And after a long, lengthy thesis, you want to see his conclusion? His conclusion is they don't collapse into it because they just don't collapse into it. (laughs) That was the grand conclusion. And folks, we know the answer. It is in him, in Christ, that all things hold together by the word of his power. Amen? Amen. And folks, not only does does it imply that he created all things and he's sustaining all things, But being creator also implies something else. Write this down as letter C. Creator implies absolute ownership. God's word says of this entire world, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, and the world and all that's in it, for you, O God, you have founded them. And then it says of every animal, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all the moves in the field is mine. And then of every person it says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And family, the truth of the matter is that we don't own anything. We're simply just good, we're supposed to be good stewards of what we have. We don't own our cars. We don't own our home. We don't own our own money. We don't own even our children. Listen, we are just simply stewards of what God has created. And he alone, being the creator, he has ownership absolute of everything in this world. Amen? And folks, not only that, but it's also important to remember that Because God is the owner of all things, listen, he can do with this earth whatever he pleases. Sometimes the mistake is that we approach God, and we approach God with a preconception of what God needs to do and what he should do and how she should be. And listen carefully. The creation does not tell the creator what to do with his creation. He owns all things, and he is the one that determines and defines all things. And whatever he wants to do with his creation, he is is entitled to do as creator God. Can I get an amen to that? The problem is that we, in our sinful state, it's easy for us to become self-centered. Isn't that right? It's easy for us to think that everything revolves around us. But folks, listen, God in his grace, he gave us something to remember that he is the creator of all things. In fact, write this down as big number two. God gave humanity logical evidence, logic to know and to remember that he is the creator. And folks, here are two big evidences of God as creator. Write this down as letter A. The first one is what we call the cosmological argument. And the, the, the cosmological argument for God's existence and the fact that he is a creator of all things is that there must be a cause 
for the universe to exist. You see, whatever exists began to exist, right? Whatever begins to exist had a cause. The universe exists, therefore the universe has a cause. And the person who developed this argument, this logical argument, is the man Thomas Aquinas back in the 1200s. And he developed this whole concept from a simple observation. It was this, that whenever there is a change in the world, there is a cause, right? For this book to move, there's a cause that took place to happen. And if you start thinking of everything in this universe, everything we know, everything we touch, everything had a cause. What was the cause of that chair you're sitting in? Well, someone made it. Well, who made it? Well, an engineer made it. Well, they used a machine. Well, who made the machine? Well, somebody made the machine. Now, who gave the power to the machine to work? Well, the electrical plant. Well, who made the electrical plant? You see, everything in the world has a cause. Even you and me, when you think about yourself, we all start tracing back our existence to an initial cause. And when you start tracing it back, there was a first cause. And Aquinas called it, the first cause was God, and he called God the unmoved mover. The one who began, but was unmoved himself. Now, whenever we talk about the initial cause of things, many people now attribute it to the Big Bang Theory, right? Not the show, but the Big Bang. And what it states is that oh, back, in, back at some point in the, in the past, there was, a, there was a moment, right, where there was a large explosion and everything, came to, everything we see and know came to be from that explosion, and so the question is that people have is, does the Big Bang Theory fit with Genesis chapter 1 and the creation story? And the answer to that is possibly. Possibly because in Genesis 1, all it states is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the Hubble telescope early on at 1200, uh, in the 1900, it revealed that it seems like the, the universe is somewhat expanding, and so God could have created all things and began to put things into motion. That could have been. But folks, here's a problem with the Big Bang Theory, as it's, stated to, as it's taught to your children at school, is that it commonly has, contains, atheistic presuppositions that contradict the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, just so you understand what they're teaching, a theory as fact, here's what they teach. What they teach is, is that about 13.7 billion years ago, 13.7. Now, how do they know it was 13.7 billion years ago? I don't know. And you know what? They don't know either, right? But they say 13.7 billion years ago, there was a little tiny mass a few millimeters thick. How do they know it's a few millimeters thick? I don't know, and probably neither do they, right? But a few millimeters, millimeters thick, and somehow, someway, that little thing exploded, and everything we know came to be. And the way they explain, the way they explain the earth is this, this way. After that initial explosion from the little millimeter, little particles began to gravitate to each other. Somehow they began to spin, they began to create some sort of energy and heat. 
attracted more particles, and after millions of years, somehow, some way, the earth came, came to be. And not only that, but somehow, some way, it landed perfectly in our Milky Way galaxy in the perfect distance from the sun where it could tolerate heat, not too far, not too close, and life came to be. Folks, that's what the Big Bang Theory states. And I'm sorry, but it, it takes more faith to believe that than to believe God's word. If I can be honest... I'm sorry, but even explaining that, in my mind, it is illogical. How can everything we know exist, the way things are, come from a little explosion of a few millimeters? It doesn't even make sense when you explain it, right? But folks, that's what we're teaching your kids. And not only that, but those who hold the Big Bang Theory, they, they willingly ignore the fact that this theory violates the Newton's first law of motion, which states that an object at rest remains at rest unless an outside forces upon it, which the reality is that they, where did the Big Bang come out of anyway? Listen, there must have been a God, a first mover, the unmoved mover, according to Thomas Aquinas, amen? And the second logical argument, write this down as letter B, is the teleological argument. Not the theological argument, the teleological argument. And this argument comes from the word telos, which means the end of or the purpose of something. And so the teleological argument says that when we look at the world, there is a set of design to this world that is consistent with a designer, with a designer. And the person who made this whole logical argument famous was a man by the name of William Paley. And he gave a very ex an, an, an example that I think many of us have heard, but let me, let, let me remind us. He said this. He said, if you were just walking by a field, right, just an empty field, and you ran into a pebble or a rock, and you picked up that rock, you would just see it and just chuck it aside, aside right? But let's suppose you're walking through that field, and you find something you've never seen before, and you pick it up, and it's a watch. And you turn it around, and you open the back, and you start seeing how this watch is working. You see all the intricacies. You see all the little details. In fact, you realize that if just one little tiny part of it was missing, it would be catastrophic to its operation. Folks, when you, anybody looking at even a simple watch would say, this was designed, right? There's something about it. And folks, listen, when we look at the world around us, there is an order, there is a balance, there is a consistency, a pattern that's intrinsic to life and the universe, amen? amen. In fact, listen, even when you look at our bodies, it is undeniable that we have been wonderfully designed by someone. Especially if you have children, to see them come from conception to them growing up is a beautiful thing. It's a reminder that there is a creator. In fact, next week, we're going to be talking about our wonderful bodies, what an amazing things they are. So you have to be back for that next week. But the truth is that when you look around, there's, it's, there's, there's laws, there's infinite amount of laws that govern everything. 
In fact, Thomas Edison, the famous inventor, he once said this. He said, I know that this world is ruled by infinite intelligence. It requires infinite intelligence to create it, and it requires infinite intelligence to keep it on its course. Everything that surrounds us, everything that exists, proves that there are infinite laws behind it. There can be no denying of this fact. It is a mathematical in its precision. And folks, this is why you wake up in the morning and you take steps towards the coffee maker and you don't think about those steps, but there are infinite amount of laws helping you take steps, keeping you in place, even the way that you, uh, your, your, your eyelids close and shut. There are infinite laws governing everything that you don't even think about. But there's someone who created those things, right? In fact, Thomas Edison, when talking about science and the advancement of humanity, listen to what he says. He says, until a man duplicates a blade of grass, nature can laugh at its so-called scientific knowledge. Folks, yes, we can clap for that. Listen, you can bring all the brilliant minds in this world, but none of them can even create one simple blade of grass, and you have thousands, if not millions, in your own backyard. That points to a designer who created all things. Amen? Come on, let's give a shout of praise for God for that. So the question is, all right, Omar, it's evident there's, there's a creator God. I get it. But if he created all things, what is the purpose of everything? What did he create? Is there a purpose? Well, write this down in big number three. Listen, God has, in fact, a purpose in creating all things. Now, some people may say, well, God probably created all things because he needed us. And let me remind you of something. God does not need us. He is a self-existing, the self-sustaining one. He is in, perf in, he's in perfection all by himself. He doesn't need anything else to add or take away from him. Amen? Amen. Some others say, well, maybe he, maybe he created because maybe he was bored. Or he was lonely. Listen carefully. The, the God of the universe, the Trinity, was in perfect fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit, for all eternity, in full and complete joy and satisfaction. They did not need us to bring them more joy or more satisfaction. Amen? Amen. But there is a specific reason why God decided to create. Write this down as letter A. God created for his glory. Now listen to what God's word says. It says, worthy are you, our, our Lord and God, to receive what? Glory. What is it? Glory. Glory. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then in Isaiah 43 it says this, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my what? Glory. For my, for my glory, who I formed and made. Now the question is, what is, what is glory, right? Because many people have a misconception of what that is. Where the word glory there in the original text is the word doxa. Everyone say doxa. Yeah, and the word doxa, it means the revelation, the splendor, or the brilliance of something, right? That's what the word doxa means. So when scripture says that we glorify God, 
it does not mean that we make God more glorious. Right? God is infinitely glorious, right? He's perfect. But what it says is that when we glorify God, that in that moment, in that circumstance, we are revealing the greatness and the beauty and the worth of God. Amen? And so, folks, the reason that God decided to create the world was to reveal his character and to reveal his attributes. You see, not only that, but also, folks, the whole story, the whole story of redemption, the whole drama of redemption, it is all meant to show and to reveal his character from the moment he created to the moment that we sin and we rebelled against God at the fall, through the history of Israel, through the moment of redemption, through the history of the church, and even at that moment where he is going to recreate all new heavens and a new earth. Listen, every aspect of it was created and designed by God to reveal his character and his attributes through that whole redemption. See, folks, you need to understand this. The way that the drama of redemption, creation, fall, redemption, recreation, listen, this was not a mistake. God specifically designed it, and he specifically allowed it to happen in this way because he knew that this was the way that he was going to be able to reveal all of his character and all of his attributes to us. And folks, it makes sense because how can God show that he is a creator if he never created How can God show that he is merciful if he never shows mercy? How can God show that he is a good God if he can never be good towards people that don't deserve it? How can he show his faithfulness unless he's faithful to his promises? How can God show that he's a just God unless he gives sin the justice that it deserves? Amen? And so, folks, make no mistake about it. Every aspect of redemption history was specifically designed and allowed by God to reveal his character through it. And, folks, the moment in time that there was the apex of his glory, the apex of his revelation, was at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus Christ was being nailed to the cross for your sins and my sins, taking the death that we deserve, listen, All of his attributes were being seen in the cross. His holiness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his justice, his mercy, his grace. All of the attributes of God were perfectly seen through the the cross of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And so listen, the first main reason that God created was for his glory, to reveal who he is. And there's a second reason. Write this down as letter B. The second reason he created was for our enjoyment. In fact, listen to what God's word says. God's word says, delight yourself in the what? Lord. In the Lord. You see, God's design as our creator is that we would find our delight, our joy, and everything we're looking for in, in the Lord himself. In fact, that is why the Westminster, the, the, the Westminster Catechism puts it like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You want to know the reason you exist? Simple. To glorify God, reveal who God is, and to enjoy God forever. You see, the sad truth 
is that for so many people in this world, they think that living a life that glorifies God, that honors God, is at odds with their finding joy and satisfaction in life. They think, well, if I live that life for God, if I glorify God, if I honor God, then I cannot find enjoyment, then I cannot have joy, then I cannot be satisfied. But folks, here is the amazing truth of the gospel, is that glorifying God and you finding ultimate joy are not at odds with each other, but rather they perfectly interrelate. Amen? In fact, that is why John Piper, a a well-known pastor of our time, he puts it like this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in you. God is most revealed through you when you find your satisfaction and your joy in him. You know, the sad truth is that for so many people, to try to find their enjoyment, their joy, their satisfaction in anything else but God. In fact, there was a a great theologian, C.S. Lewis, that once puts it like this. He said this. He says, our Lord finds our desires for joy, right, for satisfaction, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in his slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, when we find our enjoyment and our satisfaction apart from God, that is what we call sin. We rebel God against God, we reject God, and we try to find satisfaction and joy, not in the creator, but in not, not in the, the creator, but in the created things of this world. And folks, maybe the reason you're here today sitting in one of our campus right now, and the reason that you feel so discouraged, the reason that you have no joy in life. The reason you feel so empty, the, real you, the reason you feel so disappointed is because you have been trying to find your joy and satisfaction in everything else but God. Amen. That's why you go from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from bar to bar, from party to party, from lifestyle to lifestyle from hobby, you know, you, you jump from all these different things, and the reason you, keep, you are doing that is because you're searching for that one thing that will bring you ultimate, ultimate satisfaction and ultimate joy. And listen, you will spend the rest of your life seeking that, and you'll never find it. Because the only place that you can find what your soul is longing for is in the Creator who loves you and wants a relationship with you. Amen? Amen! Listen, the only way you can find that is through a relationship with the Lord. And you may be wondering, well, Pastor, how do I do that? How can I start a personal relationship with God? Because I'm tired of living my life. This life has disappointed me. I'm tired of this world. I know I need God. How do I do that? Is it by doing good things? Is it by a ritual? Is it by a tradition that I did when I was a child? Listen, you can do all those things. You'll never know God the way he wants you to know him. Because the only way to know him is by putting your faith and trust 
in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And the Bible says that when you surrender yourself, when you put your trust in the Lord, the Bible says that he comes and he puts and he adopts. The Bible says that he comes and he adopts you as a son. He forgives you all of your uh, sins, all the sinful things. And now you start a personal relationship with the Lord where you can finally and find the satisfaction and the joy that you're so looking for. But there has to be a moment in your life where you put your trust in the Lord and you surrender your life. The question is, will you put, will you put your trust in Christ today? Let's bow our head for prayer. Father, today as we all study your word, your truth, just the first verse of the Bible, Lord, what an amazing reminder that, Lord, you created us not only to reveal yourself, but, Father, so that we can find our enjoyment. And for those of us who are believers in you already, Father, help us remind ourselves that where we find our ultimate joy is only in you, O oh God. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed across all campuses, I want to speak to some of us here today who are ready to take that step. And so if that's you, if you feel, you know what, i got to get right with God. I, this is my time. I, I, I'm tired. I need God. So I'm going to lead you through a prayer. When I lead you through a prayer, listen, I want to encourage you, do not pray this to me. I am only a man. I cannot save you. You pray to the God who created you, who loves you, and what's in relationship with you. And so if that's you, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, pray this with me. Lord, today, Lord, I realize that not only did you create me, but Lord, you love me. You have a purpose for me. And you want me to find my joy, my satisfaction in you, O oh God. So I come before you, O oh Lord, and I confess all of my sin. All of my sin, Lord, I confess them and I ask you for forgiveness of my sin. And today, O oh Lord, I put my trust in you, O oh Lord. No longer do I trust in the things of this world and what it has to offer me, but I put my trust in you, the creator of all things, the one who gave his son to die for me. So, Father, I put my trust in you. I surrender my life today. And, Lord, as I start this new relationship with you, O oh God, Father, I pray that you would not only help me know how I can bring you glory, reveal to everyone who you are through my life, but, Father, help me to find my satisfaction and my joy in you and you alone. Thank you, Lord, for saving me today. It's in Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say, amen, amen. amen. Hey, can we encourage all of those who prayed that prayer? Hey, listen, across all campuses, if you prayed that prayer, in a few moments, here's what we're going to do. Something, same thing we did last week is important. We're going to stand up in a few moments, and we're going to worship God. We're going to sing praises to God, because how can we not sing to the Lord after being reminded of his, create, of his creative power over us? Amen? But here's the thing. As we're all standing at, the, at all campuses, listen, I'm going to be here at this campus, and your campus pastor at your campus will be right at the front. And here's what we're going to do. As we're all singing, focus on the front. For those of you who pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something that takes me a little courage, but so important. As we're all singing, focus on the front, we're going to be right in the front, and we would just love to celebrate with you and, get, and, and say hi to you. And listen, we have a brand new Bible for you, a new brand new leather Bible with things inside to help you take your next steps. 
And so it's going to be a really special moment for you to celebrate and to, for, you, for, we, for, for, for me to get to meet you. You know, last week, get this, we had 47 people come forward. 47. Last night, we had many people. At 9 a.m., we had many people come front. And so I am confident there is people at every campus that says, you know what? I'm ready. So whether you put your faith in Christ today for the first time, or maybe you're recommitting, you're saying, you know what? I got to recommit. Listen, I'll be right here in the front. Everyone's going to be worshiping, but just make your way as we start singing. I would love to, to meet with you, just to say hi to you, and put a Bible in your hand and help you take the next step. So can we agree to let people pass by, yeah, as we, yeah, at, at all campuses? All right, so go ahead and stand up at all campuses. Come on forward. We'd love to meet you, and we'd love to celebrate with you. I'll be here in the front. Come on front.
somebody else. Amen. Hey, can we encourage all those folks at all campuses, yeah, that came. Listen, the angels are rejoicing in heaven when they witness someone come to the feet of the Lord. Do you believe that, church family? Amen. Hey, so listen, they're all, they'll be out of the next step booth if you're a family member. If you, for whatever reason, didn't come to the front, it's all right. Listen, we still want you to go to the next step. We'll get, connect with you there, and we'll help you take first steps, all right? Well, listen, I'm going to call all the campus pastors to the front, but here's what I want to remind you. Listen, be back next week, because next week we're going to talk about the wonder of the human body. And how does evolution fit into that? It's talk to your children every day. We're going to find out next week, all right? So be back. It's going to be great. Love you all. Have a great day.